0: What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener submitted questions all episode long. We do this each week. It is indeed our weekly mailbag segment. If you want to get involved there's two ways to do it you can tweet at me at mike g rich on twitter just send me a send me a question whenever you're thinking of it it helps if you tag it as mailbag monday or you can wait for around 9 a.m pacific time on monday mornings when i send out a tweet soliciting questions you respond to that tweet i'll do my absolute best to get you in the show if you're not a twitter user or just someone who doesn't tweet you can email the show lockedonblazerspod on at gmail.com is the address that's locked on at gmail.com That's the two ways to get involved. Like I said, we do this every week. It's a really fun episode. This week's is no different. If this is your first one, welcome. If this is your, I don't know, 70th, welcome back. We're happy to have you either way. Let's get into it. The first question, and this is a classic here, comes from Rudy Tybersky, at Rudy Tybersky on Twitter, who asks, are the Blazers good or not good? Which one is it, bro? I sometimes lead off the... uh, the show with with questions like these this is basically the thesis for the show rudy i don't have a i don't have an answer for you but i think you have nailed down the problem with the blazers are they good or not good we don't know so they've looked good at times they've looked really bad at times they've looked kind of bad at times they, they they haven't looked great yet we haven't gotten to great but i think we'll get there um They've just they're up and down. They're inconsistent. So we don't know, Rudy, that's um, but you nailed you nailed the thesis for this episode. Well done. Next question comes from Brandon Sprague at Brandon Sprague on Twitter, who asks about how many games before we should all be freaking out about use of Nurkish? Yeah, I'm. Th- there's a handful of nerf questions here in this in this first segment. I'm gonna try to get to all of them. I am gonna get to all of them. I'm not gonna try. I'm gonna go beyond that. But, uh, I would I would say reasonably, ten or twelve games. Uh, I, I think twenty games would be too much too much rope to say. Hey, he'll fi- I hope he figures it out. I don't think the Blazers have. Um, I don't think they're good enough to to w- wait twenty games for their this their franchise center to figure it out. But ten or twelve games. Um, to let him get into shape and see if. Uh, getting in, into better physical shape helps him play better basketball. I think we all think he's just out of shape um, and maybe that'll help. But there's, you know, there, playing poorly takes a mental toll too. So uh, yeah, 10 or 12 games. We're six games in. We're about, ha- let's just call it 12. We're halfway to worrying about Nurk. Uh, he looks bad in the first six. I think these next six are incredibly important for him. Patrick Gallagher at Gallagher 503 also asked about Yusuf Nurkic saying, looks like we are back To begging Nurkic to dunk the basketball. How much would you pay for a premium league pass where you can hear the coaches and players talk unedited? Well, Patrick, I don't mean to stunt on you, but I used to cover the NBA full time for a living and travel around the arenas. I have sat very close to the court and heard players and coaches talk. Uh, It's great. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, I do think league pass this year, if you, um, if you're someone who subscribes to it is, uh, is really good cause the arenas are empty and you can hear more talking. I've, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed that. Even on the NBA TV feed the other night, you could hear players more talking, but I would pay a lot, like a, I would pay a thousand dollars a year, maybe, um, to hear it. I think it's super interesting. And, um, and, you know, I I, I love this smack talk. It's fun. Next question comes from Joseph Leifeld at Joseph Leifeld on Twitter, who asks, Is Nurkic's disappointing start to the season a cause of him not being in shape, or are the personal family matters that he dealt with during the bubble and offseason to blame? So I think those two things are related, Joseph. Um, I think he's not in shape because he had to deal with those. That's my read on it, is that he had to go back to Bosnia to deal with um, both the passing of his grandmother and and... Some other private family issues that he certainly has every right not to share with us. But uh, I believe that that, those personal issues took him away from being able to train like it was necessary to be ready to play NBA basketball and that he showed up out of shape because of those things. It's not either or it's both. Next question comes from Scooby-Doo at MVH underscore genetics on Twitter who asks, Blazers offense is fine, but a 28th ranked defense is horrible. Do we regress to the traditional drop for Nurk on the pick and roll? I felt Rocco and DJJ, that's Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr., to s- ability to switch would gar- would garner better results. And Scooby-Doo adds, in crunch time, not playing Nurk, the third best player against Golden State, made me sick. Nurk sucked against the Warriors. He didn't deserve to be on the court. I mean, he just was really, really, really bad. Um, Beyond sort of like the defensive problems and the not finishing around the rim, you know, not dunking the ball, as, uh, as Patrick mentioned earlier, he just was making bad decisions. He turned it over twice coming out of halftime. He just sucked. He sucked. He didn't deserve to play. It's, it happens. Um, we'll talk more about the rotation later in the, in the show, but, um, I don't think you can drop against Steph Curry. Like, I think you have to play up on the screens. Uh, the Blazers problems against the Warriors was mostly just, they couldn't keep anyone in front of them. So in the first half, uh, It wasn't Steph bombing from three. It was him living in the paint. I believe he took eight shots in the paint in the first half. That's way too many. He set a career high in free throws. Um, They couldn't keep him out of the lane. This wasn't about trapping or style of pick-and-roll defense. This was just about they couldn't stay in front of him. Um, It wouldn't have mattered what the scheme was from the coach. If the dude dribbles past you, it's too late. So... I think maybe go back to the drop in other occasions, but you can't do that against really good shooters, and and it wouldn't have mattered against the Warriors. Next question comes from Jesse, who says, So far, Nurk has been outscored and out-rebounded by Rudy Gobert, Christian Wood, Serge Ibaka, rookie James Wiseman in Game 2, and out-rebounded Wiseman in Game 1 by 3. The only matchup he won was surprisingly against the Lakers, in which he looked good. Is it a cause for concern yet, because he has looked bad or not great in five of the six outings? He does not look like the third best player on this team, but instead the third best center. Woo-hoo! Harry Giles has been playing great every opportunity he gets, even though it's only been a small role. Let's slow down on Harry Giles playing great. Harry Giles has potential. I don't know if he's played great yet. Ennis Cantor has been pretty solid on offense. Could it help Nurk, similar to many, think-slash-thought? It would help Melo to come off the bench. He could play against lesser competition, which may help get his confidence up. The second unit lacks defense, whereas the starters are a better defensive squad. Yeah, I'm I'm with it. Um, Jesse goes on a little bit longer. I, I, I don't think this is going to happen. Like, I don't think Terry's going to make this move, but I actually think this is kind of the creative, outside-the-box type of thinking that would help the Blazers. Bringing Nurk off the bench, and, and say him and Cantor still split time, 24 minutes each, right? Um, bringing him off the bench would avoid the mellow and canter pairing, which is an absolute nightmare, um, would allow Nurk to maybe b- do even more, sort of having more playmaking responsibilities. Um, it just seems like... it. I don't. It's not going to happen. So I'm. I'm not like proposing this and like screaming it from the rooftops. Um. But I think th- I'm into this idea. One thing. One negative I will say is that it does take away from the Nurk Dame pick and roll, which in theory is really good, but in practice has not existed. So um. That would be the downside. But it just that. Uh. You, that has to be a strength before you can consider it a sacrifice. I think it's the best way to say that. Next question comes from Logan at Logan B 770 who asks, why don't the Blazers play Harry Giles more minutes, especially against the Warriors with more versatility he brings than Cantor or Nurkic? Yeah, if there was ever a night for Giles to play, it was against the Warriors. Uh, I I think Cantor played pretty well offensively, but he was getting roasted on defense. Um, I just, I just, here's, here's what I'll say. I think I am with it that Harry Giles deserves minutes. And if particularly if Nurk stinks, why not? But, Cantor brings a level of productivity on offense that you can just you can just know and go to. Giles brings an unknown. And I think what the the why Stotz is hesitant is because he doesn't want to go with an unknown. He doesn't want to go with upside and youth and, and maybe this guy helps. And I know Harry Giles looked awesome in the preseason. I know he's had moments in garbage time where you're like, oh, this dude is multi skilled. But there's a big step between preseason and garbage time minutes to um, guarding Steph Curry 25 feet from the rim and helping correct. Hall of Fame player or helping deal with a Steph Draymond pick and roll like it's just I think Giles deserve minutes but the idea that he's like very clearly the answer and better than these players is um, maybe a little too far like I think he should play and we should find out like let's let's go ahead and find out right but um, I don't think that's the answer also there's this there's this idea that Harry Giles is a good defensive player and he has not been that in the NBA. He's not he has not been a good defensive he's been a defensive liability in the NBA. He is athletic um but I would argue that Ennis Cantor is weirdly athletic in a lot of ways, and he's not a good defensive player. So um, let's play Giles, but acting, I think the fan base and members of the media are acting like Harold Harry Giles is the obvious savior, and what he is is a, is an interesting option. I think there's a big gap in between reality and what people are hoping for. Next question comes from Tim, who asks, if the Blazers want to be 26-10, and 10, for example, at the halfway mark of this season, what are the top five things you must You see must be done to the roster or starting lineup or players that must improve, etc. Tim's proposals. One, get Thor getting his hammer, which is a reference to, I, I called Yusuf Nurkic Thor, says he doesn't play well without his hammer. Yeah, that's number one. I'm with you on that. Two, second unit getting 25% better on defense. First unit could get better, too. I'm with the whole team. Let's say the whole team gets 30% better on defense. Three, CJ continues at this clip. Absolutely, he's been awesome. Four, Gary Trent Jr. plays more minutes than Melo always. Yeah, nice idea. They don't really play the same position, so it's not super easy. But in general, yes, I'm with it. Five, we get some fans into the Moda Center. Well, um. I won't hold your breath on there being fans in the Moda Center before the first half of the season ends March 11th. I'm going to go ahead and say there's that's not going to happen. Not here in Oregon. Just, nope. Sorry, let's cross out five. Nurk playing better. Number one, totally with you. Whole team getting better on defense. They just need to be not awful. Not awful. I'm, I'm over the league average. I don't think this roster can be a league average defense. Not awful. Let's say 20th in the league. 20th in the league. Is that... Um, one of the ten worst defenses in the NBA, but not one of the three worst defenses in the NBA. That seems like a level. CJ at this clip is the best he's ever played. If he plays this well, Blazers are gonna be fine. Gary Trent Jr. playing more minutes. I'm with it. Um yeah, I'm I think I, I think I agree with four or five. If I had to add a fifth one. I would say get Rodney Hood fully healthy um, because he he offers size to play small ball four. He offers shooting. He offers more playmaking. Um, at least he's not a great playmaker, but at least interest in playmaking. So yeah, I'll say get Rodney Hood healthy as my as my fifth one. All right, let's come back in the third segment answer more of your questions. But first, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. I got an email today from Bet Online that Damian Lillard's MVP odds have shifted. They were sixteen to one. Prior to the season starting, and they are now shorter at fourteen to one. You should have gotten in early, but it's not too late. That's the kind of you can make some money on BetOnline.ag. So it's the it's the one place that has you covered for all your online sports betting needs, and the one place we trust here at Locked On Podcasts. So sign up today and get a free account at BetOnline.ag and use that promo code Locked On. You'll get a fifty percent welcome bonus. There's more than just Damian Lord lines. You can bet on games. You can bet on props. You can bet on future games, um, Blazers odds to win the championship, make the playoffs, all these, all, all the future bets you want, all the live bets you want, betonline.ag. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right. Let's keep a roll with Mailbag Monday. This next one comes from BMAXMS at BMAXPDX on Twitter, who asks Why does Cantor perform so well offensively with the Blazers and not with other teams? Was he mainly benched due to defense on other teams? Yeah, I mean, you. You watch the games. He's, he's not staying in front of people. He's not blocking shots. Um, he's he's a liability in space. Uh, he's just an elite offensive player, an elite rebounder, so strong, has great touch inside. His his per minute numbers are about the same. Like, he's shooting 68%, 68.5% from the floor, leading the NBA in field goal percentage. Uh, as I hit record on this podcast, it may change by the time you listen to it. But Monday afternoon, when I checked, he, uh, he was leading the NBA in, in field goal percentage. So... Like he's he he might not shoot seventy percent for the year so his his you know his numbers might come down but just in terms of like permanent scoring and rebounding he's he's right about where he's been at his career he's a beast dude's a, just a beast on offense um, he just has real real serious defensive limitations and the Blazers he's the Blazers best center right now and they suck on defense and those things are related the, I mean he's just um, their hope moving forward is that the dude who is supposedly a good defensive center gets his mind and body right, because Cantor as a as sort of a low minute offensive juggernaut, is the is really his best spot. He's just he, they're asking him to do too much, and he's he's putting up gaudy stat lines, but the. Um, they can't guard anyone. They got to figure out a better defensive, they got to figure out a better defensive group. And I just can't imagine Cantor is part of the plan on a lot of nights. He can play against specific matchups, see Nikola Jokic or something, you know, big lumbering centers, but uh, you know, spread pick and roll athletic teams, they Eric Paschal, for instance, is going to just blow by Cantor and score a whole bunch. This next one comes from Stout Squirrel. Who asks, are there lineups where Carmelo could play five on defense and four on offense? Would this be a productive action? In order to facilitate Carmelo's offensive play, what do the Blazers have to sacrifice on both ends of the floor? Well, it kind of depends. I'll take them in reverse order. Um, kind of depends on what you mean by facilitate Carmelo's offensive play. Do you mean just like let him let him do like let mellow be mellow which is kind of what they did last year when they had very little offensive production off the bench uh they're better than that this year so i don't know if you want to just facilitate it i think it's more about what can carmelo do um can what can carmelo sacrifice as opposed to what can the, the rest of his teammates sacrifice he's 36 in year 18 it's time to sacrifice my my dude um he just needs to post up less, uh, move the ball a little bit more, but just post up less. He can still take spot-up threes, but um, less turnaround jumpers, I think, is is the way for, for Mello to get there. And can he play five on defense and four on offense? I mean, maybe, maybe he can do that, but... If you the problem in the NBA now is that he's not like a, a true five man. Is not like getting post ups. So you can't just sort of like leverage Melo against the guy who's gonna get post ups. Whoever Melo guards is going to set a screen and he's going to have to play pick and roll defense. Like um, it doesn't really matter if he was guarding James Wiseman or or Draymond Green. Uh, that person would have set the screen. And if it wasn't, um, you know, and if he did guard Wiseman a whole bunch, you worry about rebounding a little bit. And I think maybe that's a pretty good solution. But then you just go small and you play. Play Draymond at the five, and you say, "Okay, um, this dude still can't guard pick and rolls." So it's the 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 trick with Melo is to get him out of the action. So I, it's almost like let him guard a bad wing is the trick. Um, the problem is that that's kind of where the Blazers hide Damon C J. It's uh, it's a compounding issue. Next question comes from Tim, who asks. Could we get anything for Carmelo trade-wise, or are we locked into this weird thing where we have to play him? Okay, th- those two things are unrelated. Um, I don't think you can trade... I, I don't think there's a lot of value in trading a guy in a minimum contract. You're basically just... You're moving around deck chairs plus... Um, you know, it's it's Carmelo Anthony. It's not just like a random minimum, minimum guy. Uh, he's... It, he comes with some. He comes with a need to, to to treat him like a hall of with Hall of Fame resume. The Blazers have chosen to do that, and they're kind of making their bed. Um, they. They, I think they have to play him for a little bit. I think you can't give up on him six games. I think at some point um, it's negligence to not reduce his minutes. So wh- I'm, I'm willing to say 10 games before I start banging the drum, but Carmelo needs to eventually play less. It looks like that. Like Maybe he turns it around, but to me it just looks like he needs to play less. Joel asks, is there a number of brick turnaround jumpers that Carmelo Anthony can put up before, quote, being custodians of his legacy actually means benching him in order to protect him from himself? Forgive me, Mello. It's harsh. Joel, uh, Mello doesn't listen to this podcast. He's not going to hear it. Um, Ah man. I, like I just said, like, I think, you know, there is a certain point where he just has to play less. It's just undeniable. Uh the custodians of his legacy thing is just it was a way for Neil to say we've committed to to giving Neil to giving Mellow real minutes. Both Mellow and Dots are on board. Um, we're going to be respectful of him. I just part of me just wonder sort of how long how long that experiment goes on. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he hasn't played well. He's bricked a lot of turnaround jumpers. It's it's troublesome. Next question comes from Blue, who asks, Do you think CJ will average more than 25 points this season? And if he does, will that be enough to get an All-Star nod? No? Yes. I don't think he'll average 25 a game this year. I do think if he averages 25 a game, he will be on the All-Star team. Because if he averages 25 a game, the Blazers are going to be awesome. Like I know that they stink right now and it's like when they lose, it feels like they'll never win again. But he's averaging twenty-eight and six, twenty-eight and five point seven, if you really wanna get granular. But if he if he's averaging twenty-eight and six, like they're gonna beat a lot of bad teams. Like they're gonna beat teams that don't that aren't as talented as them, or at least don't have like a singular talent like Steph Curry. Um so they'll be right there. Uh but it'll be it will be um It'll be tough for the Blazers to get two All-Stars without him being really good. Next, or Blue asks another question. Uh, if there's no All-Star game, do you know if the voting All-Star process will look the same? It's going to be identical. No problem. It's going to be identical. Uh, Jesse Helweg at... Jess Asteris on Twitter. I think I got that one right. Jess on Twitter asks, is CJ in the All-Star Convo? Absolutely. Um, if there's an All-Star conversation being had at Game 6 of the season, Week, week 2 of the NBA season, uh, he's definitely part of it. Week 3, I guess. We're at the beginning of Week 3. Uh, yeah, he's part of it. Uh, the Blazers are going to need to be Uh, not 500 though. You're not getting two all-stars, um, at 500 and CJ is not going to leapfrog Dame. I just, there is, there is not a world. I believe there is not a world all-stars all, it's like a fraternity. There's not a world where CJ is the lone representative from the Blazers. He's getting in as the second guy and the Blazers are going to have to be good to get a second guy. James in Beaverton asks, You mentioned that as Dame gets older, he's becoming more involved in attracting an all-star talent to the Blazers. It is reasonable to assume that most of these trades would have to include our near-all-star and Dame bestie CJ McCollum. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 is Dame stomping off to his room, never to talk to Olshea again, and 10, Dame is already packing CJ's bags. How on board do you think Dame would be in CJ Letting CG go for the good of the team. I don't think Dame would be on board. He's incredibly loyal. It's like his it's like a foundational trait of of his. So I don't think he would be on board, but I do think he would be understanding. I think he would be somewhere between one and ten. Like I think he'd be like a three more on the Kyle Lowry route where you're pissed, you hate it, but you understand this is your best chance to go get what you want. Um, like when Kyle Lowry's best friend DeMar DeRozan got traded to the Spurs and the and uh, Kawhi Leonard came and delivered a championship to old Toronto. So I think he'd be pissed. I don't think he would like it. He wouldn't be, I don't think Dame's out there shopping CJ or whatever in the the superstar group text, but I think if it was truly for an elite-level player, he might be more understanding. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show on this wonderful Mailbag Monday with more of your questions. But first, let's talk about rockauto.com. You know rockauto.com because they're the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com right now and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And they got everything you need. Engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's classic for your classic or your daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks. And it's all delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique, and it's remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specifications, and the prices you prefer. And it's the prices that's best of all, y'all, because at RockAuto.com, they're always reliably low, and they're the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? You don't need to do that. You can just go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Still a pass first, point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked On Blazers. We're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. Before we close out the show, let me tell you all about Locked On Bets. It's a new podcast that launched on the Locked On Network, and it's the best way to get betting advice and handicapping advice from people that people that know this industry. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. They give you daily picks and quick hang advice to make the smartest possible wagers. Wagers, excuse me. So subscribe to Locked On Bets a podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get podcasts. All right, let's 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 close out the show. Let's close out Mailbag Monday. we got a bunch of great questions here in segment number three. Ryan kicks us off asking, how much of the Blazers' performance over this opening weekend do you blame on coaching? The hashtag Firestots crew is out in full force early this year, harping about lack of rotational adjustments, non-existent play calling, constantly playing mellow and canter together. Instead of giving Harry Giles minutes, is Stotts just riding things out and hoping that guys will start clicking with enough time on the court together under their belts due to an abbreviated training camp, blah, blah, blah. Are his hands somewhat tied with Neil's promise minutes to Melo and Cantor being the Blazers best players off the bench. At what point are the hashtag fire Stotts folks justified in their critiques giving it still early in the season? I mean, they're justified right now to some extent. Uh, I think the people that really so there is like sort of just like a, a a flavor of fan in every sport, not just Blazer fans. I'm I'm just talking sort of like fan every sport that that just want to fire the coach. Um, like that's the thing they're into doing is like uh is firing the coach because it's like a thing you can point to. It's also kind of like a way for sort of um people who know the game really well to show how smart they are by being like, I could coach better than this dummy. I myself get caught in this trap sometimes. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's reasonable to criticize Terry right now. Um, I think the mellow and Canter pairing, which he's chosen from the beginning the, with, with the way the rotation works, uh, is bad it sucks uh you've got to get away from that somehow I don't exactly know how you do it but you just need to play it less you just need less minutes with those two two on the court um it's a pick and roll league and having two terrible pick and roll defenders surrounded by Anthony Simons and Rodney Hood coming off an Achilles injury is not great it's not fair to to CJ McCollum or Gary Trent Jr whoever's out there It, it sucks needs to do that less uh everyone loves backup players Harry Giles is gonna be the dude who everyone wants to play until he plays and isn't good um to see Thomas Robinson also there's a chance Harry Giles is really good and that Stotts is wrong all along and these people are right um so but whatever I mean like I think it's it's totally i think it's totally fair uh I think the neil thing like they're they're obviously they gotta play mellow as minutes like it's an agreement they have but it's the job of the coach is to figure out who plays and when, and even when you have a mandate, um, you have to figure it out. So um, I don't—I'm—I'm I'm not banging the drum for Terry Stotts to get fired, but he hasn't done a good job. The team is playing poorly, and some of it is his decision making, and he deserves blame for that. That's just how it works. I do think Blazers go four and two in the first six games. Nobody's mad at Terry Stotts except for the people who sort of make it their brand to be mad at the coach. Next question comes from Adam Nakamura at Adam Naka 28. Before I get there, they didn't, they gave up 62 points to Steph Curry. Uh, they they weren't particularly close to going four and two. Okay. Adam Naka, Adam Naka 28 on Twitter asks, how much of the inconsistency between each game is on the coaching staff? I feel like it's more on the players and daily effort they bring slash still working on chemistry, but other fans are blaming the coaches and want them gone. Yeah. Um, it's some, some of sort of like the, the chemistry, like there's a lot of communication issues on defense. I think that is the number one thing. I don't think it is a scheme thing necessarily. I think the Blazers have have and I've I've gone over this on the podcast before. I think they've mixed up their scheme a little bit. I think they've tried different things and all of it has been bad. But I think the communication is poor on the court. Like I think guys are um they're just not connected, and if you're asking a team to maybe uh, be in rotations more defensively than they have been in the past, you need better communication, and they just don't have that. I don't know how much of that is a new team and how much of that is just a coaching staff who hasn't had enough time to like do t- do teaching, but here's the thing. They are not going to have a lot of time to teach, so it's, um, this problem isn't going anywhere. Uh, the inconsistencies, I think it, I think it, to me it's equal blame, like um, Stotts deserve some blame, but it's, I don't think when uh, the Bla- when Dame has a terrible shooting night and the Blazers get absolutely pounded by the Clippers, like, I don't, I, I have a hard time saying that that is Dots's fault, right? When the Blazers play the Warriors for the second time in two days and the Warriors come out and just rip them and even get, you know, outscore them when Steph Curry's on the bench in the first half, that's a coaching problem, right? Like, you just... The the tendency with people who criticize coaching staffs across all of sports, um, I'm mostly talking about this from like being a Carolina basketball fan, but it's that you only do it when things go wrong, and you never say, "Hey, you did a good job." And so you say, like, "Oh, Terry changed up the defense. We've been clamoring for him to play drop, stop playing drop coverage for years, and then it doesn't work." And it's like, "Why if this dumbass change up the defense?" Like, you just uh, people who want to criticize the coaching uh, will always find a way to do it, and you gotta let them have it. Uh, but it, Terry and the staff, not without blame. Um, He could certainly lose his job if things go in this direction for the rest of the season. Next question comes from Kyle who says, Recently Adam Silver said expansion was inevitable, which has me wondering, how would the league work? Would the expansion teams have their choice of players from each team in the league? I remember the NFL out of the Texans. Teams could protect a certain amount of players. Uh, How would it work? How many teams could protect? Seven, eight, or maybe nine? Which players do you think the players would keep? So it's probably eight uh, how it's worked in the past, like how it worked with the, with the Bobcats, etc. Uh, I think the Blazers would keep, let's say, their starting lineup. That's their first five. Uh, I think six is almost certainly Gary Trent Jr., unless they think he's going for a big payday and they don't want to pay him. So let's say six is Gary Trent Jr., seven is Amphrey Simons, and then eight gets a little bit weird. If the season was, like, if this was happening this season, I think eight would be Ennis Cantor, right? Because you would say, we need a healthy center who can definitely play. But I do kind of think uh, if it were to happen next season, that would change some of the some of the calculations. Uh, and depending on what the Blazers do with Zach Collins and Gary Trent Jr. this summer, that could change things. And maybe uh, you protect, if they decide to pay Zach, maybe they protect him is basically what I'm saying. But I think you've got seven locked in. Um, and then the debate would be whether you, keep, whether you protect Mello or not. But a minimum guy at that age is not someone that maybe an expansion team would go after. So you probably can... Keep mellow, unprotected and be safe. Next question comes from Sir Weezy, who asks, "Is it just me, or does the probability of CJ picking up a frustration fra- flagrant increase significantly when the Blazers on the wrong end of a blowout?" Yeah, he seems to do that. <laughs> I'm with you, Sir Weezy. Uh, I think that's, I think that's a CJ thing. Is he'll get frustrated and make a physical foul. I know that he's. Uh, I know that friend of the podcast, Jason Quick, once said that. Uh, CJ was borderline dirty. Uh, me and him have argued about that off off mic. Um, I'm not sure I'd go that far, but he certainly does f- do some frustration fouls. So I think what what maybe at the time was kind of a reckless tweet from Jason has gained some credence. Next question from Kenny Pruitt at Kenny Pruitt uh, on Twitter, who asks Lamar. That's Lamar heard, the Blazer Broadcaster, wondered aloud last night if Dame is deferring someplace he normally wouldn't to play the long game and try to get everyone else rolling. Is there anything to that do you think this do you like the strategy and is Terry in on it? Terry's definitely not in on that type of thing. That's a sort of Dame feel when he's out on the court. Um, the specific play that uh Lamar was talking about, Dame like left a drop up drop Drop off pass to Nurk, and he could have easily dunked it, except he fumbled the pass, missed the layup, grabbed a rebound, got blocked, grabbed the rebound, missed the layup, they lost the ball. So I think Dame thought it was an easy basket, is why he did it more than he was like trying to get Nurk involved. Dame certainly does that. Um, he it's particularly early in games. I don't think he would have done it in that situation. I disagree with Lamar's, um, I disagree with Lamar's theory on that one. I think, in general, though, D- Dame knows that he can defer because he will he can get his shots when he wants, and other guys need his help getting it. Next question comes from Hassan Whitesidesburner at Justin P. 1111 on Twitter, who asks, if you had to predict when Moda Center would host 19,393 beautiful humans again, when would that be? Do you think we will see full stadiums at the beginning of 21-22? I don't want to predict the future. I don't know. I hope so. I really hope so. Next question comes from Ian Armstrong at strong comedy who asks the remaining 14 games in January appear to be a lot easier than the opening six and February looks pretty brutal with travel and some better teams. How many wins do we need to rack up in January to not lose pace with the playoff teams? Yeah. Blazers' schedule definitely lightens up. Uh, It's not, it's not like crazy easy, but it's certainly easier starting with Tuesday against the bulls. They, you know they play some teams that have bad records but are good. It's I'll just rip them off for you real quick. Chicago, Minnesota at Sacramento, Toronto at home, at Sacramento again, Indiana, Atlanta, San Antonio, Memphis, Memphis at home, the Knicks, the Thunder at Houston at Chicago. That's the end of January. I would say all of those are winnable games. There's not a single game on there that you look at and say, "Well, they're going to they're going to lose that one." Obviously, they're not going to go undefeated, but I'll say I'll say 8 and 6. Eight and six. I would put them out at eleven and nine. Um, is that right? Did I do the math right? Yeah, I put them at eleven and nine. I don't think that's super sexy. Obviously, you'd like to go ten and four or something like that. But I think like to stay in the in the realm eight and six over these next fourteen. These are really winnable games. Uh, I think the Blazers if. If they weren't playing so bad now, I'd say this is a chance you could rip off 12 12 out of 14 wins. You go 12 and 2 and you really you really take control, but they just don't look they don't look consistent enough to do that. So I'll say to, to sort of keep pace 8 and 6 if you want to like sort of establish yourself 10 wins or more. Next question comes from Colin who asks From the outside looking in, Derek Jones Jr. is part of a group of guys that played little slash no college hoops before declaring for the draft and then went undrafted, but seemingly were much more valued by GMs right right off the bat than so many second rounders, especially the second half of the second round guys, and got commitments from NBA teams very, very early on and have been given lots of opportunity to stick in the league. Meanwhile, so many second rounders never even play in the NBA. Other examples, Taco Fall, Chris Boucher, or Chris Boucher, rather. Um, are exceptions since they played in college, but other examples like Lou Dort, uh, Jontae Porter, Jalen Q, Nas Reid. Um, so why wouldn't these guys get drafted? Um, this is typically a thing agents do is that when you start dropping in the second round that they would rather you go undrafted after about like pick 40. Uh, You know, the first 10 picks, you're really excited. get to 45. It's like, I don't want my guy to go. Because if you go there, you might not get into a situation where they want you. It might just be sort of like a developmental dart throw. They're saying, this guy could help. Let's throw a little dart. So you'd much rather go undrafted and sign on with a team that wants your services. Uh, The Heat specifically with Derek Jones Jr. and the Heat specifically just as a program, they have this um, track record of, of getting undrafted guys, of finding undrafted guys, not wasting a draft pick on them or not using a draft pick on them and saying, We'll just sign you straight up as a um, as an undrafted player. Derrick Jones Jr. obviously started with the Suns, but sort of same, Id- same idea, developmental player that the Heat um, uh, recognized. They did the same with Duncan Robinson. So they were like, "We're not going to draft you, but if you're a va- if you don't go draft get drafted, we're going to sign you immediately on draft night." So that's it's usually an agent thing. It's like you'd rather be in a situation where they definitely want you and want you to be part of the plan going forward, as opposed to uh, just getting getting maybe drafted as a as an afterthought. And finally, our final question of the show comes from Northwest Jeff, who asks, or who points out, you asked us to let you know why you were wrong about the Dra- James Harden trade concept. This is a little while ago. I did a whole, this is maybe two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, I did a uh, a whole show on sort of James Harden rumors and his connection with the Blazers. And Northwest Jeff hit me with some some very legitimate reasoning and it goes like this. I'm not sure you're wrong, but if you are, I think the reason would be something like this. Portland isn't Los Angeles or Houston or Miami. The star-gathering strategy won't work in Portland for this, in the same way it works for these big market teams. To abandon what has worked for Portland in order to mimic the strategy of an iconic NBA franchise, while not being an iconic NBA franchise, is misreading of how teams like Portland fare in the NBA. Think of Portland like a kid in high school marching band that caught a little attention of the preppy cool kids. Would Portland really be better off abandoning his homies in order to be popular? Is that really going to end well? Or would Portland be better off knowing who it is, leaning into it and saying, F the haters and living their best life? part of being a fan of a team like the Blazers is accepting that you're rooting for your team to do its best, try hard and maybe get lucky. Call it call this a loser mentality, but are fans of the Portland Trail Blazers really going to be well served with a rings or bust mentality? This year marks my 30th year of Blazers fandom and I suspect Blazers fans might be better off recognizing where we are in the league hierarchy while hoping to draft like the Warriors did or get hot like the 2011 Mavericks did. Aside from that, maybe the real championships are the friends we make along the way i don't usually read uh, long emails like this i usually edit them down but i really enjoyed this from northwest jeff i enjoy it for a couple reasons one it's someone who, d- who disagrees with me and reasons it out in a way that doesn't involve exclamation points. Love it. Uh, it's also an interesting study in what it means to be a fan and what fans, what certain fans want. I think that Northwest Jeff is part of a group of Blazer fans who probably say, you know what, I'd rather home grow it because it would feel better. But I also think there are a sect of fans of this very franchise who say Dame's not going to win a ring and it would be... a it would be a, just a black mark on his resume to not win a championship, and I'm willing to tear down any relationships or anything else to help this man win a championship. And I think it is a be- sort of a beautiful study in what it means to root for the thing you like. Do you want it to be done a certain way, or are you only results-oriented? I will say this. I think it's true that star hunting wouldn't work for the Blazers, but if they are going to get a star, they have to do it by trade. They're not going to sign one, and drafting one might require too much patience when the best player in franchise history is 30 years old and his running mate is 29. And to point to a recent example that I brought up early in the episode, the Toronto Raptors did this. They were a pretty darn good basketball team for five years with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry and company. And then they they took a big swing, and it paid off. And it paid off with a guy who had no interest in being there. He didn't want to be there in the first place. He didn't want to, he didn't stay when he had the opportunity to. But he spent 1 year as a mercenary and won the fans a title. And I wonder if that route would be gratifying if it ended with a championship parade for you, even with someone with a, with a let's do it our way, let's not chase this glitz and glamour type approach. I wonder if making that trade, if making the big risk into delivering a championship would change your opinion. I don't, think, I don't know if it would, Northwest Jeff, but I know that there are fans within the fan base who have been probably a fan in as three decades just like you who, who just view it differently. But I think what this sort of whole episode, this whole mailbag kind of illustrates is that there are many ways to root. There are some of you who are upset by your fellow fans saying, fire Terry Stotts. And there are some of you who are saying, fire Terry Stotts. (laughs) And frankly, you're both right. You're both right because the, the fun part about sports is you're allowed to root for it in your own way. You're allowed to, it moves you in your own way. Plenty of you have complained that I am not a Blazer fan. And I've tried to explain that it's not It's not even by choice at this point. It's not something that I opted out of. It's something that I'm just not capable emotionally of doing because the the teams I root for, and really it's team I root for at this point, moves me in an emotional way that nothing else does. I can't, I, I am pulled by them. And I'm pulled by them in sort of in a rational fan way. And I'm just not like that with the Blazers. I'm, I'm rational and pragmatic and too close to it. And while I follow them very closely, they don't, they don't move me in that same emotional way. And my point is just to say this, that the emotions of being a fan will pull you in different directions. And you are neither right nor wrong, even if I think some of your styles are a little bit grating. So take this Mailbag Monday that I'm closing out with and just root for root for the Blazers however you want to do it. If you want to bang the drum to fire Terry Stotts, bang the drum, get out your biggest mallet, bang the drum. If you want to hope that they keep this beautiful team together forever, hope and pray that they keep this beautiful team together. Develop a a rich and deep emotional connection with the players on this roster and hope that they can figure it out. There's no wrong way to do it. So just do it. Do it how it it makes you feel. I'm going to get off my soapbox. I love sports. I love the NBA. I love Mailbag Monday. Let's do it again next week. If you want to get involved, you can send your questions to me on Twitter at Mike G. Rich or email the show, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. we got a great uh, show coming for you later this week. I meant to tease it early in the episode, but if you made it this far, you're going to learn about it now. Dave DeFour of The Athletic is going to the, the, join the show, a guy with great basketball insights and a whole bunch of podcasting chops. We're going to record that episode tomorrow prior to the uh, Blazers game against the Bulls. Look for that one in your feeds on Wednesday morning. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. they will be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.